Coming up soon on the Mark and Adrian Movie Mania Marathon podcast, we're going to be talking about the fugitive and the future of digital sound. Um, so, uh oh, sorry, Mark. Can you can you just hold on a second? Sorry, I don't know who this is. Oh, uh, hi, Pete. Hi, it's me. How's it? Oh. What's uh, um, what's going on here? Well, uh, hey, Mark, how are you doing? Are you guys recording a podcast? Don't worry about it. Right. Just forget about it. forget you saw this, Mark. Just put that away. Put that away. What's the podcast about? Definitely not movies. What are all these DVDs? I kind of thought that was our thing, doing movie stuff. Yeah, but... no, of course it is, man. Don't worry about it. It's cool. It's all good. It's all good. Look, I'm sorry to interrupt your movie fun time or whatever this thing is, but you and I have got a big meeting in like 10 minutes. Um, sorry, ten, 10 minutes? Get on your bike. We're going to Soho. We've got a big meeting with Selena Lim. She's a writer. She's BAFTA nominated. She's worked with Idris Elba. She's amazing. And she said that she'll give us feedback on our pitches. But I mean, maybe you don't need any feedback given that you've got someone else to get feedback from. Mark. Mark, you're fired. This sounds like a much, much better idea. How many BAFTAs are you nominated for? Yeah, Mark, you know what? I don't think it's working. You and me, we're done professionally. That's you, da 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 in the background. Get out. Welcome to Big Meeting by Pete and Adrian. Hey, Selena, so nice to see you. Nice to see you as well. Um, this is Adrian. Um, you guys haven't met before. We've Hello. not. Hello. Do you want to tell Adrian a bit about what you do so he knows how you can help? Yes. Um, I'm a screenwriter. Sort of started out in short films and stuff. Uh, moved into t- TV quite recently. So I've done a bit of, bit of continued drama. I've done a bit of Hollyoaks. done a bit of stuff for BBC drama. Um, yeah, and I met uh, Pete at a talk that I did on breaking into screenwriting. And, you know, I think it's fair to say we try and be self-reflective. We haven't sold any ideas yet, which might be mm. because we were wearing the wrong clothes to the pitch. Yeah, I still or, think that, yeah. you know, or something like that. But, you know, if you've got any ideas for how to improve things, just just hit us with it. Be honest. You know, we're grown ups. We can take it. What, clothes and the pitches as well. Yeah. yeah. And okay. any notes you have yeah. on. Are our clothes OK, do you think, for uh, pitching? Yeah, I'm liking the sort of, yeah, tropical look on the right. I can see Adrian here. Cool. Cool. And uh, casual, casual on the left. Casual. Yeah, with Pete. My note for Adrian for the next meeting we have is if you're going to wear a tropical shirt, go all the way and do the shorts and the socks and mm. just be all over tropical. Um, Adrian, do you want to go first? Yes, please. My first pitch today for you, Selena, is called Saboteur Squad. Elizabeth Moss has always hated cooking since her mother disappeared in the middle of dinner when she was young. Moss therefore loves her job as leader of a team of restaurant saboteurs in the cutthroat world of New York high cuisine. They break into kitchens in the middle of the night and blunt knives, unplug fridges and mix up labels on bottles. They are so successful that the government recruits them as an international strike force to disrupt tourism in foreign countries. But there is a counter saboteur force with increased skills and technology who outwit their efforts and always unsabotage the sabotage. By using an extreme technique involving changing the supply of those little bits of paper they use to write orders on, Moss overpowers the bad guys who admit defeat. She neutralizes them and pulls off the mask of the leader, only to find out that it is her own mother. Her mother laughs and activates a hidden homing beacon, freeze frame, to be continued in the sequel. Wow. Saboteur Squad. Wow. Wow. I feel like a lot of the drama is resting on the pieces of paper. Exactly. And I'm not sure how strong that is. Right. really blunt with you there. When you say strong, do you mean card is better than paper? I feel like you've missed my point there slightly. Well, maybe... Uh, yeah. 
maybe some sort of I don't know some sort of plastic sheet or something that would be mm. a bit more hard wearing. One of the thoughts on the paper is, do you know how they 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 write the little uh, orders on the paper and they they shove them in the little sort of um, grip, the yeah. metal grip yeah. part of the shelf? Yeah. I can see you've done your research, by the way. On uh, that's that's the technical term, metal yeah. grip part of the shelf. By choosing a paper weight that is less, mm. uh, Elizabeth Moss is able to make the paper so that it doesn't go in the thing. So they put it in, they let mm. go, and it falls down. So all the orders go wrong. Is, is that helping with the drama, do you think? Can be it? blunt? I'm almost falling asleep right now listening to this. I feel like you're doing what a lot of people do, which is to get caught up in the plot. In your case, the plot is quite dull, so that doesn't help either. So I feel like we need to go back to the beginning and say, what is this about? Not, you know, not so much what's the weight of the paper that Elizabeth Moss is holding, hmm. but more who is she? Hmm. What's her journey? Her journey. What's this about? That, that's probably what I would try to elicit from you guys. Who is she? Who is she? <laughs> well, yeah, who is she? What the hell is going on? She Why hates... am I here? So that's probably the questions I would be asking if I was in this film right now. She hates cooking. She hates cooking. Says so on the poster. Yeah. She hates cooking. She hates cooking. Relationship with the mother. Yes, I think this is it. Thank you. We're getting there now. Okay. We're moving away from the paper and the blunt knives. So maybe the sabotaging that she does to the kitchens is really an analogy for the way in which her mother sabotaged her childhood. This is, this is getting deep now. So you're ready. Look at where we are. I feel like maybe there's this something is, in this. Yeah. And so every time she changes a, a label on the uh, pistachio box. Oh, she, oh, we're get, oh, we're getting sucked in oh, again. Yeah. Oh. It's the detail, I think. It's really I resting like, the detail. Yeah. Yeah. I feel I need to pull you back again. Okay. What do you, what, what, yes. So what we're saying basically is that out of the, what, 150 words you wrote, we probably need to keep th three or four, which are Elizabeth Moss and her mother. Hey, don't forget the word hate. That's quite good. Hate? Okay. Oh. Yeah, just that in. Elizabeth Moss has always hated cooking. Mm-hmm. Since her mother disappeared in the middle of dinner. She could try to be like whisking her mother to death. Gosh. You know, what could she be doing? How Brutal. Could she, you know, we've got peelers. Interesting you say that. Peelers. Peelers. Oh. So we've been we've talked about the idea of blunting and unblunting. So what if Elizabeth Moss goes around blunting all of the knives in the kitchen? Meanwhile, her mother is sharpening all the whisks. Ooh. And it's all shot on CCTV mm -hmm. from the same angle. The you whole mean, thing. You mean like a nest camera, one of those like a nest smart camera. camera things. Absolutely. Uh, minimal, yeah, like a minimal directing going on. Yeah. No directing. No, dire no directing. No directing. That's new. No directing. Um, one take. Black and white, mm -hmm. and the camera freezes as it would sometimes on Wi-Fi every once in a while. So you miss key moments that, again, you have to fill in. I feel like th for that to work, um, you'd probably have to reframe it. Maybe take the word saboteur, turn it into like French art house. Oh, gosh. Squad de saboteur. Whoa. Then no dialogue or plot or action needed. And one take, black and white, a uh, yeah. I'm going to add one. And then people are going to have to pretend that they get it and that they love it. That's brilliant. Uh, yeah, and if you don't. Music, do you think? Every now and then, really odd, jarring music for no reason whatsoever. Just to wake people up, but people are going to think it means something. Live. I was going to say, I mean, yeah. of course, I was going to say live. But, 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 but this could be entire thing streamed on Facebook Live. If it's done as CCTV, yeah. it's a live event streamed on CCTV yeah. with a uh, accordion, electric accordion, and also a DJ doing scratching. Yep. One broadcast only, and then all records are deleted forever. It's sort of an, a, a, a once-in-a-lifetime event. And you have to sign an NDA to say you won't speak to anyone about it ever. So the viewers are going to have to do this, are they? Okay. Mm. Mm. Alternatively, mm. it's not broadcast at all. No one ever sees it. Mm -hmm. it's, a, it's something that people talk about. It's a legend. It's sort of a, a thing that people 
know Cult- happened. Culty. But they've never seen it. No one's ever going to see this film. Is that what you want? So you know how um, some people cut each other's hair. So instead mm. of going to a professional barber, you you might have put your 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 aunt and your uncle. Your aunt might cut mm-hmm. your uncle's hair, right? Do you think that if you sharpened a whisk enough, you could cut somebody's hair with it? This is a question that keeps me up at night on a regular basis. I think the answer to that is yes, you could, but it would also get tangled. And I also think to make it really work, the safest way is to invert yourself like a bat and have your hair yeah. hanging down. Yeah. So, I mean, viral campaign showing the audition tape of Elizabeth Moss upside down having her hair whisked. That, I would, you know what? It's just a side note, I would watch a short of someone trying to cut someone else's hair with a sharpened hand twisty whisk thing. I've watched worse. Let's move on. Let's move on. Great. Thank you for your notes. That's that's very helpful. <laughs> I think we've got a little work to do. Not much, though. On that one, but not much. This is called Bloomington, Indiana. Ariana can't read. Good start. Mm-hmm. She keeps this a secret from her boss at the World Bank by causing distractions when she is asked to read something, like setting off the fire alarm or leaving delicious cakes around the place. Her distractions get more and more elaborate, but when her boss privately admits that he can't read and asks her to teach him, events descend into farce as Ariana makes up the meaning of letters and words on the fly. Because her company is deemed too big to fail, the government ministers who visit have to play along, and eventually written English is entirely redefined along Ariana's insane lines. The end. Wow. Big idea. It's quite intriguing. What genre is this? Uh, rom-com. Rom-com. So does she fall in love with her boss? Is this what happens? And, uh, I don't like it when people fall in love with their bosses in movies. It's kind of. I, th- I feel like it would be more like there's a um, uh, the person she goes to get the cakes from falls in, in love with someone else unrelated. <laughs> yes, falls in love with someone else. Yeah, there's actually there's a there's a rom-com happening somewhere else. On and the you side. Just, yeah. So you know how like the, normally in a film you have the, the romance is the main story and there's a side story which is will they get their cupcake bakery up yeah. and running. Yeah. So we flip it. I feel like this is what like what watching Gentleman Jack was like. It's like I felt like I got very sucked into coal. A lot of coal. <laughs> I feel like this might be the same. A lot of linguistic theory. A lot of linguistic theory. And and actually, people, then it's one of those things where it becomes part of common culture that at the water cooler, you're not talking about gossip and Love Island and things, mm. but you're talking about interesting how we don't use the subjunctive mood anymore in English. Let's try it live and see if it works. So, Adrian, for example, if mm. I if you imagine that you don't know any language at all. Any, <laughs> well, that's a very easy thing to do. I'll just imagine that quickly. Any written language. Mm. So if I showed you that word there, what, and you had to, and I said, I, I don't, I don't know. What does this mean? I mean, I have a big meeting with the with the uh, chief finance officer at the World Bank, mm. and I need to present this document to him. What does it mean? Well, the first digit, I'm going to call it digit because I don't know any other word for that symbol, uh, is sort of looks a bit like a bowl. So I'm going to assume that this says uh, bowling. Bowling, interesting. So it says cake. Mm. But bowling, and, and then actually, you know, if you were if you were Ariana, 
in the story and you were making up these words as they came to you, you'd then need to figure out how to fit bowling into a sentence about international finance. For Incredibly example, complicated. For example, um, the numbers are down this month. Let's go bowling. There we go. Wow. Selena, what do you think? Well, I'm watching you guys and I feel like that could be like a scene from the movie and I want to kill myself is my review. Again, I feel like you guys are getting very lost in the intricacies of sort of plot devices and things like that. Right. Mm. And again, I would ask, you know, who is Ariana? Is it Ariana Grande? Because I feel like people are going to think it's Ariana Grande, the quite distinctive name like that. Well, let's, yes, you Ariana know, Grande. It could be Ariana Grande. I don't know. I mean, linguistics, you know, she, she's a writer. Yeah. Let's roll with that. Ariana Grande can't read. So she has to pretend she can't read. I feel like it's really interesting that she can't read. And maybe we need to go into that and find out, like, why can't she read, you know? Chooses not to. She, okay, I don't know. Mm. She raised by wolves and she escaped to the city and woke up in an office. Or perhaps she, I, I like what Adrian, what you just said about maybe she, she it's just a choice. She goes through school and just decides, I'm just not going to do this. I'm not going to submit it. to your, your, you know, uh, to the to the system. Yeah, she's not going to be a slave to, to the, the system, to the man, the establishment. I like that. Does she know numbers? Does she know numbers, guys? Big difference. She does work at the World Bank. I mean, yeah. She's trying to sabotage them anyway. Does it matter if she knows numbers? Well, I didn't say what job she did at the World Bank. Oh, what job does she do at the World Bank? She is the doctor. The in-house doctor who administers flu jabs and such. Five mils, exactly, of flu jabs? Well, it's about that much. And which one is it? Which, Which of these vials should I use, nurse? She has learned through just very lucky guesswork to keep the less safe. Why would you have unsafe things in vials in a, in, a, in, a, in a doctor's office? Well, someone might. I mean, there are a million reasons why you might not choose to inject someone with something that is available in a doctor's office. I can think of a couple. But I, I, what, hearing what you're hearing, mm, Selena, if, mm. if, if we were to take this one stage further what, mm. what, do, what do you think the, the fundamental things are we need to look at i think yeah be braver i think bigger it's it, you know yeah i mean it's got a lot of good ingredients already we've got illiteracy we've got poor health care sabotaging financial systems i mean this is perfect for post post-brexit britain quite frankly let's go with it i think so assuming ariana grande says yes well and i is mean the lead i think it's a character. pretty clear assumption she'd say yes who might be her boss i mean i don't know if anyone you, you particularly like you could see being in that role What's his character? I don't really know anything about her boss. He seems like quite a well, he can't read. blank at the moment. He can't read either yet. But he's and he's he's one of these guys who is um, he tries to put on a show, but he's actually quite vulnerable because he does at, at a certain point decide to say to her, "I cannot read, and you need to help me." Mm. And there are some guys who just would never do that. They just bluster their way to the top. Mm. But he's the kind of guy who says, "This is time to own up." So he's got that sort of self-reflective mm. thing going on. Yeah, he's a big fan of fishing and ping pong. Well, who isn't? So that's hard. Um, maybe Ben Kingsley. That sounds amazing. Yeah, he, 100%. he's going to come across. You know, he come across really erudite, and then bam. Yeah, love I it. I can't read. Morris, full stop. Got to keep the full stop in there. Morris, Willem Dafoe plays Roy, who has rejected the world of Morris dancing, but he has to take his mother's place in the World Championships in Peterborough when Sigourney Weaver breaks a toe in practice. During the final performance, Roy realises that the weight of the bells on his shin pad is slightly off and discovers that they've been replaced with bells made of pure silver 
which they aren't normally made of. He confronts team manager Penelope Cruz, who admits that she has been smuggling silver by hiding it in the costumes, and that's why his mother's toe broke. Roy calls the cops before going back on stage. The finale is the final Morris dance in front of the Queen herself, intercut with Penelope Cruz being chased by local police constable Derek Jacobi. Wow, that's not to digest. Rich, rich story. Morris I like, dancing. I like the, yeah. Well, I like, first of all, I like Penelope Cruz in it. I've seen her for ages. She's awesome. Um, mm, Morris dancing. I feel like, like a lot of your other pictures, maybe we need higher stakes. A higher bit more stakes? Jeopardy. Gosh. Yeah. So, you know, you know, sort of the reveal being, oh, these bits of paper don't are too light. You know, that, that's not too gripping. Much, okay. Much like, oh, the bells on my shins are not made of metal, they're made of silver. And, and actually, how are you imagining he would realise they're made of silver, mm. just to check? That's a good weight. question. Purely based on weight. And it's putting him off his game. He can't do the proper Morris dancing. That's how he knows. So I, I hear what you're saying, but I think the stakes could be higher if we understood why Penelope Cruz was smuggling the silver. Indeed. Perhaps she was smuggling it for some sort of horrific purpose that it, only by, by exposing her will he save... Uh, the Harvest Festival in the village, for example. Just one example. Another high-stake example there. Um, yeah, I would get, again, into the nub of what's the drama and where's the conflict the and who are the characters. Okay, well, Roy, he's rejected the world of Morris dancing. He now makes apps in the city instead. He doesn't care about all that, all that Morris rubbish, Mum, not interested... I'm never going to do it again. When she breaks her toe on the eve of the Peterborough World Championship Morris dancing finals, he suddenly realises that there's a part of him which has never been fulfilled, which, which as many apps as you could make in the city and as many fancy bars as you could go to mm. could never replace the genuine uh, human interaction and, and, and love that comes with a perfectly executed Morris dance. There's the there's the internal that's drama. That's good. Yeah, that's good. So this is Roy's journey then. So Roy's he's journey. rejected his his upbringing, his 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 values. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. That's it. Sold yeah. out to, to. I think you need to grab onto that, and you know maybe the bells can come back. We don't know, but I would focus on that journey. On that, who is Roy? You know, what? Why has he decided to go off to London and reject? I mean. For Morris me, dancing and his roots. Do you think Morris dancing itself is something that I mean? I, don't, I can't think of any major films that have been based around Morris dancing before. Yeah, and sometimes that's good. You know, you're doing something new and fresh and different. Sometimes there's a reason for that. Um, well, yes. I mean, there's a ready-made audience. There are Morris dancers there, and I imagine that most of them would be interested in seeing Willem Dafoe have a go. I, one of the most popular things in the marketing for. A Tom Cruise film, for example, is all about how he did the stunts, all the behind-the-scenes mm. kind of stuff. I think Willem Dafoe, who's a proper method actor, would need to learn Morris dancing and really get established in that world. I think at least six or seven years' worth of living as a Morris dancer before we could start filming. That's going to be quite hard to pitch to him, I feel. I don't know. I think he'd, I don't know, he might go for it. Have you, imagine. Seen, have you seen this new film? Willem Dafoe does all his own Morris dancing. I mean, there's the, I mean that, you know... That's it. That's the marketing right I mean, there. I was going to suggest something a bit more sort of, if we're going to, I mean, if you guys are reset on, you know, the crazy world of dancing as competition stuff, you know, I was thinking maybe something a bit more dramatic. 
aggressive even and I was thinking you know, like capoeira which should be a martial art you know it's roots in martial arts mm. but then I remembered that actually there's a lot of slapping that goes on in Morris dancing there is they have sticks they have sticks. sticks they do a little handkerchief waving don't they have you seen Step Up or Step mm. Up to the streets yeah or but, any film where mm. for example a ballerina meets a b-boy break dancer type person save the last dance something like that and they have to learn from each other in the end yes. so what if we we go with your idea and we say yes he does morris dancing he's been enticed to the big city mm. by a girlfriend who is a capoeira dancer ah. and in order to finally um win out at the morris dancing championships he decides to do this hybrid fusion dance, which causes outrage in the village. And actually his mother rejects him and says, I don't want your help if you're going to come with that filth. And But this... he does it and there's this dramatic, yep. intense capoeira folk fusion. Uh, bearing in mind that this is in front of the Queen, the finale of mm-hmm. the championships, this is in front mm-hmm. of the Queen. So it's a, it's a big moment for Roy, Willem Dafoe, as he chooses to suddenly yeah, activate. It's sort of like the end of the Karate Kid. It's like do the forbidden move. And he starts doing capoeira, which makes the bells ring in a special way. And then it, everyone's silent. And it goes to the Queen. And she slowly brings up her hands and starts to clap. Sorry, I forgot about the Queen. But you're right. That makes everything work now. Mm. If you just do it in front of the Queen. I do think it does need to be the actual Queen. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, this is good. Love across the divide. Pimping up. Morris dancing. There we go. Um, and uh, one note, it's sounding a little bit like the opening ceremony for the 2012 Olympic Games now. Um, <laughs> Morris but it, dancing. But everyone loved that. They, they did. Well, we, uh, yeah. This is going to be a picture, isn't it? The crown meets the Olympics 2012 opening ceremony meets Step Up 1 and 2. And Willem Dafoe. And The Karate Kid. I mean, who would not go and see that film? You've helped us so much on that one. Would you like a writing credit when we send that pitch off to producers? Can I think about that one? And can I see the pitch before it goes off and I put my name to it? That's fine. I tell you what, we'll put mm. your name on it. And then if oh. you want to track changes and delete it, when we send it over to you, you can do that maybe? Mm, maybe we'll discuss that after this. Well, we think we might. This well, meeting, yeah. One thing yeah. that might maybe help, I think maybe if Pete and I, after this meeting, we go away and we develop some of the actual moves that uh, Willem Dafoe would do we combine some because you know we, we know a little bit about capoeira and mm. Morris dancing having had a look on YouTube this morning so we can we can combine some of those we film a little bit of it for you for, in our garden or something and, and then send you uh, yeah I, yeah, I just can't trash my agent I guess send it to him yeah. okay I'll send yeah. him the video yeah I think that's okay. a pretty good idea okay you do just you, google afterwards what's an agent what's an agent um, do you have any bells y- yes Next pitch. Okay, uh, I've got a pitch about Zowie Ashton. This film is called Etch Angel. After the cremation of Zowie Ashton's grandfather, she and Ezra Koenig return to their jobs in the Etcher Sketch Factory. Koenig takes the urn with him, and it is mixed up with the latest shipment of iron filings. When they discover the loss, Ashton is sorely aggrieved and won't return Koenig's calls, but then the next week, Koenig is testing an Etcher Sketch and a face seems to draw itself. Grandad is back, and he has unfinished business with the Chemical Brothers. Wow, that last bit threw me a little bit, I have to say. I feel like you're going to have to explain that, that last sentence there. What, why would anyone have any beef with the Chemical Brothers? Or maybe it's unfinished business, literally unfinished business. He has, uh, there's a sort of a contract that hasn't been signed, and he just has to get it sorted. Is that why he's come back? Well, I kind of had in my mind that somehow the Chemical Brothers had... Uh, he is accusing the Chemical Brothers of copying his work. So, for example, they use a little riff 
of a sample they found and actually it was him giving a speech at the local council one day or something like that um does that sound compelling is that interesting or would the chemical brothers be in it do you think i mean again well they or they just alluded to well it depends we'd ask them if they want to be in it and I mean, if not, they just we just they just keep talking about the Chemical Brothers throughout the whole film, but you actually never see them. I mean, I feel like I'm quite familiar with your guy's style now after just you know a few minutes in this meeting. So I guess I'd have to ask how much of the film centres around iron filings. Interesting. Well, I had in mind. Um, have you seen those uh, YouTube videos of factories where it's kind of strangely compelling yeah. how symmetrical things come out? Yeah. I did have in my mind quite a long sequence of iron filings being made and shifted around and the patterns that come out of them i guess i uh i must you know if if that if that isn't enough by itself what we could do is put dialogue on top of it so the argument that the two main characters have is all you never you don't see it's not in a cafe you mm-hmm. just hear it over the iron filings conveyor belt as they're um distributing them evenly on the surface. So we don't even see people's faces when we hear them talk. We just see the iron filings. This is what you're telling me? You see quite, you can do quite a lot with your hands mm. emotionally. And so, for example, can, when can Ezra you? Koenig gets okay. angry, you see his hands kind of tense like this. Angry, like, so, yeah, so you'd be shouting as a director, give, give me angry hands. Exactly. Angrier hands. Mm. So, so the, the Etch-A-Sketch itself, oh, another thing is, uh, what I'm fascinated by is when you use an Etch-A-Sketch, how does it work? I think some shots inside the Etch-A-Sketch of each individual filing in slow motion being pulled to the top of the screen area if you could get a camera small enough to go inside there, that would also be a huge talking point for the film. So we'd need to develop new technology. It's something that we often talk about, new cameras. Mm. So this is a theme, becoming a theme, films that you guys make that no one should ever see. Mm. Yeah. High concept, I like High that idea. High concept. James Cameron always invents new technology for his mm. films. They, they, do, they do quite well. I think, I think you guys are sort of getting lost though that, that you know, a film is filmmaking, anything, songwriting, anything, it's all telling a story. Ah. And I'm not sure that close-ups of iron filings slowly making their way to the surface of an etch-a-sketch screen is telling us much of a story. How about this? All right, we're going to pivot because I, I t- we take your feedback. Mm. No etch-a-sketch factory. No etch-a-sketch at all. Granddad is cremated. They spill the urn and the ash lands in the shape of Granddad's face. Ezra Koenig is convinced that it is the ghost of Granddad talking to him. Everyone else doesn't believe it. And there is this kind of uncertainty through the film. Was was it actually the ghost of Grandad, or was is Ezra Koenig just insane? I think there's something in that. I think I think kind of the you know how you got to that point is maybe a little disturbing. But the idea of a guy being haunted by the death of his granddad and latching onto something could be quite actually quite sad and you know tragic and moving. As long as you guys step away from this obsession with sort of filming and findings up close, I think you should focus really on the sort of human interest part of this story. I think that's... Yeah, and and, you know, guys, try and step away from being so much interested in inanimate objects, maybe. Well, it's interesting you should say that because the scene, the pivotal moment when the ashes fall onto the carpet or linoleum, let's go with carpet. Veneer. Veneer is is obviously very important because that's Mm. the big moment where you see his face. Now, we are very against faking things using CGI or any special techniques, so I suggest that we actually have to keep doing it for real until they actually do fall in the shape of the specific actor's face. Now, we could cast the actor Mm. after we find a face that's sort of about right, but I still think that we we need to do that. So I think that's going to be what 
maybe holds up in the production, but I think it's worth it. I would like to see that conversation between you and a producer. Mm. I feel like you need to have that conversation with a producer. Mm. And even just filming that conversation might be quite interesting. Because, yeah, I think, yeah, pitch that to, to someone, see how they feel about that mm. with budget and time. It's not really a comedy, is it? It's not really a comedy at all. Uh, no, I don't think so. It's well, a drama. Yeah, is it a drama? Yeah, well, I mean, it's drama with these kind of elements. I see, I, I have in this mind this moment where Ezra Koenig shows this ash on the ground to Zoe Ashton and says, did you hear what Grandad just said? And she looks at him like, no. And it's kind of like in Sooty. For Sooty, like, this, like Sooty and Sweep, you know. Yeah. The, yeah. So yeah, he's no. on the mood board, he, Sooty. Yeah, so you know how Sooty would say into the guy's mm. ear. Uh, he says into the guy's ear, mm-mm. And the guy goes, oh, you know what Sooty just said? He just said that... X, Y, Z. And so that's what he's doing through the whole film. And I, I just love the idea of people being like, is this person insane or is this actually happening? I've well, always loved that. Yeah, yeah. And I think gra- grab onto that. Not sooty so much. But yeah, But grab onto that. Yeah. Could it be that you see it from his point of view? The ash. From granddad's point of view. Potentially. I didn't mean that. I, I love from, that. Why not? But you could also see it from the grandson's point of view in that he's, he sees the mouth moving and the, the whole face, the ash is animated and the eyebrows go up and down and, you know, uh, the, the, the smiles and everything. But then everyone else is just looking at a pile of normal ash. That's cool. I'm going to pivot this once more and then we're going to move on. The ash falls on the ground. It is the ghost of granddad. We see everything from granddad's perspective. Only Ezra Koenig believes it, and everyone else who comes in and looks, and you kind of you're looking up, obviously, from the camera's point of view. Mm. Everyone else is going, this is just a pile of ash. And you hear Grandad's voice saying, it's me, it's me. I, see, I like the idea of, of him talking from the grave. I feel like you guys need to move away from the ash. An Etch-a-Sketch is good. He could, I don't, I don't feel like his ash needs to go into the Etch-a-Sketch for this to work. He could be talking to him via the medium of Etch-a-Sketch. Ooh. Oh, I do like that. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's sort of like a, a Ouija board kind of yeah. thing. It starts, okay. Yeah, and maybe they lose it, maybe it gets sold, it gets lost in the production line. This is a quest to find Grandad's Etch-a-Sketch. Etch-a-Sketch the movie. I mean, let's just yeah. go full commercial. Think of the merchandise. Brilliant, love it. You could have Etch-a-Sketches. Etch-a-Sketch from beyond the grave. Ooh. You, could, you, you come out at Halloween time. They do those stunts where, those marketing stunts, it's like somewhere in England, and then just... Somewhere in England, an etch sketch has been hidden in a grave. <laughs> somewhere, wow. in a, some, somewhere in wow. England, an etch sketch has been hidden in a grave. Use this, use the new etch sketch app to go on the treasure hunt. And if you find it, you get a free funeral. Love it. Lunar Instinct 1. A massive solar flare causes all the cats in the world to grow by 10 times. It's all fun and games until a giant leopard gets out of the zoo and eats the crown jewels. Cat science expert Phoebe Waller-Bridge realises that to reverse the process, the moon needs to be intensified by the same amount, but no one believes her. So, the night before the army are sent to begin the grand cat battle, she sneaks to the top of the gherkin and installs her grandmother's moon refractor. The moonlight spills across the planet and the cats are saved, but Waller-Bridge, infused with moon energy, becomes the spirit of chaos and London has a new frenemy wow so this is good because you're really setting yourself up for lunar instinct two how many films are there where there is a two but they didn't call the first film one mm, mistake quite absolute frankly. mistake mm. absolutely it's, it's easier to understand later on if you just put a big one on there easier on the dvd box exactly and i think it's wise for you guys because people you know people are going to be investing in your films obviously and they're going to want to know you know does it have legs you know can we go to two three four or zero, minus one, Ooh, or go minus back. Two. Okay. I think there's maybe a scene 
when the world's reacting to this news. There's a scene in a cat flap designer's office where someone's just sent off an order for 10,000 new cat flaps or submitted their designs and someone runs in with a with a telegram saying sir 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 let's let's talk about Phoebe Waller-Bridge so um love her mm, I love her so okay, we've all watched um we've all watched Fleabag a lot and so she does her thing mm-hmm. now I like casting people in movies where you say to them, we, we love your thing, but can you not do your thing? And what we're going to do is we're going to, for example, ask you to sort of shave one side of your head and put on like a biker jacket and hold a... Uh, pineapple. Pine- pineapple. Well, no, I was thinking kind of getting to the, like, like, the, like some kind of like crazy badass kind of street tough kind of thing. And oh, say, okay. I know that's your thing, but we're going to do, we're going to pivot you to something completely different right now. Okay. Run with that and see where you get. Fine. I don't, I actually don't like cats. No. I don't either, actually. I know. Sorry. Advantage mayhem. A tennis match is held hostage by an unknown enemy force, voiced by Whoopi Goldberg. The players are told that the ball itself is in fact a neutron detonator, and if the rally stops, the device will go off. All professional tennis players from around the world are called in to take turns in keeping the game going, and it continues for months while top scientists work on a solution. The solution involves a high-speed drone flying at extreme speed over the course and a million-to-one shot that someone needs to make to hit the ball into a special hatch on the bottom of the drone. All good tennis players are now too tired, so it's down to Stephen Burkoff, who has never played tennis before to save the day in heavy rain and high winds. Wow. So this is like speed meets what Armageddon. Meets tennis. You mentioned that he has his tennis whites on and the headband. Yes. So I'm quite intrigued that there's this there's this kind of build up moment to him going out on the pitch and some one of the one of the military personnel has been tasked with go he doesn't play tennis go and get him the best tennis tennis equipment and they've laid it all out <laughs> the special thing is this, I, or is I, this a scene it's like a three-hour scene, scene in in a in, nike store well actually in the so at wimbledon there's a wimbledon museum where they have all the original uh items on sort of you know this is the this is the dress that the first female tennis player wore or whatever or this is the the racket that beyond borg won with or those kind so of guys things. i'm gonna stop you there right yeah i'm just gonna stop you there Okay, so we're going to do um, we're going to do a couple of short pitches now. So you've given us incredible feedback. This is so useful, and we know that. Um, I mean, we can go. Actually, we can. No, go this all is off really useful, noon. guys. It's making me feel much better about my own writing. This is good. Oh, that's, yeah, that's, that's good. great. That's good. Uh, that's, we can go all afternoon good, yeah. if you want. I mean, we mm. we can just keep going. Yeah, we or, have nothing. Maybe, Sorry, go on. Do the short pitches. Okay, short pitches, and just you know, yes, no, maybe. Sign me up. Get out of here, you crazy guys. You Any know. of those? All good. Okay, <clears throat> number one. Alexi Sale falls off a cliff and finds out that he's invincible. Indifferent. Madonna plays Morlon, a robot built by John Lithgow in case of disaster. She escaped after Lithgow left his office one evening. Now she's malfunctioning and threatens a Scottish resort. John Major must talk her out of it. John Major is played by Sean Bean. Quite like that one. I think Madonna should be a robot as well. Twist. Done. Lovely. Madonna, sorry, Madonna is the robot. Oh, she is the robot. Mm. Sorry, I didn't hear that bit. Oh, yeah, then I love it then. Great. Morlon. Well, do you know, I didn't expect that to be the one that we came out of here with a uh, purchase order for. Well, I feel like Madonna might actually be a robot, so... Could be. Uh, Mindy Kaling 
has recurring dreams in which she is Ernie Wise. Yeah, you've lost me there. It's Ernie Wise. Love a bit of Mindy. I don't, I don't think he's, dare I say it, contemporary enough. Ooh. Okay. I hate to be the wanker that says that, but... Good note. I'll, I'll replace him with someone else. Uh, who is a good replacement for Ernie Wise? Uh, Stevie Wonder. Hmm. Mm, moving on. Christina Hendricks lives in Paris and finds a key that's engraved with tomorrow's date. The day, and she finds the key the day before the G20, which is being held in the city. However, she oversleeps the next day and never gets a chance to solve the mystery. Anticlimactic, mm. like the first bit. Then it just went very downhill. So keep the first bit about the key. Very interesting. 50% yes. Brilliant. Mm, okay. Maybe combine it with one of the other ideas we have and make it a bit more, a bit more, a bit richer, a bit more complicated. Happy to. Uh, okay, puppetation. Alan Alda and Clive Anderson refuse to staff their poison shop with humans and rely on clockwork puppets. When the magician who maintains the workings of the puppets falls off a cliff, why does everyone always fall off a cliff? <laughs> it's, just, it's just a great plot device. Business transformation consultant Katie Sackoff is called in to consult, and there is a instant classic consultancy montage. So I stopped listening about two seconds into that one, so I guess that's enough. So you want to hear it again? Is when you, no, oh. no. I think I feel like the reference. I think Clive Anderson just threw me. Is he the guy from Whose Line Is It Anyway? Yeah, yeah. He hasn't had a role in a. Ever. If I had a buzzer, I'd be hitting that right now. Okay. <laughs> in honor of Clive. Poison Shop, though. Poison Shop. Well, within the context of another world, yeah, maybe I don't. I don't know if that should be the focus. Elizabeth Olsen runs a special movie theatre in which live broadcasts of people's dreams are shown to a secret group of club members. The dreams are anonymous, so no one knows who's having them. Love that. Wow. Yeah, it's pretty good. All we need is a title. Pete? Men in Black 2, Back in Black. Stop me if I'm wrong, but I feel like there's a Men in Black movie series already oh, I think there is actually. yeah look at Google it Google it I think there is so I Google that okay so yeah. well uh, I mean I just thought it was a great title this is my final pitch one line yes or no or definitely yes Sarah Michelle Geller becomes a tortoise called Bortus yes amazing high five high five because I we've developed a very short trailer which I'd just like to show you which uh listeners can find on the website mm -hmm. um, and here it is wow so I can never unsee that um, I, yeah I wouldn't call it a trailer I, yeah teaser mm. a teaser for the teaser mm. would you like to, would you like to see it again would that help let's just do it one more hey, time oh he's doing it That's not actually Sarah Michelle Geller, is it? Well, it's her as Bortus. Mm. It's more, really, it's more Bortus is Sarah Michelle Geller. Maybe he's playing Sarah Michelle Geller eating lettuce. That's her in LA. I love that on idea. On her balcony. I am very happy That's to how I twist see it, it round. Mm. So, Always turn things upside down, see what so, you come out with. Well, don't turn a tortoise upside down, though. Well, no. So mm. instead of Sarah Michelle Geller is Tortoise Bortus, mm. Tortoise Bortus is Sarah Michelle Geller. Yep. Share big meeting with your boss today and say hello to a big promotion.
Wow, what a great meeting. Selena was fantastic. Right, back to the Bortus trailer. Um, I think the only problem is the theme song still isn't quite fast enough. Let's give it another try. Bortoys. Bortoys. 